Hi there, and welcome to the pod for this Friday, February 26. Coming up, we'll talk about how much the average small business is now in debt due to the pandemic. Plus, Quebec's health minister says it's just normal we go there when it comes to a vaccine passport. It's public health versus civil liberties. We'll discuss that all coming up on the pod right now. This looks like a good things in store weather-wise for the uh, coming month. And we got a big Friday show. we got big news this afternoon because we have, yes, another vaccine available. AstraZeneca approved by Health Canada earlier this morning. And for those of you scoring at home, that now brings us to a grand total of three. That's right, three vaccines to choose from. You know, we got the AstraZeneca just approved. we got the Pfizer. And we, of course, have got the Moderna. And that also brings up a host of questions. Because the good news is AstraZeneca is more portable and it doesn't need that extreme freezing or refrigeration that the uh, Pfizer uh, vaccine does. But the bad news, its efficacy rate is only 62%. Now, compared to the Pfizer vaccine, which is well over at 90% effective. So, should you wait for the vaccine of your choice? Will you be able to choose a vaccine, make a choice? So many questions. Now, no doubt, happy to hear the news about another vaccine is small business right across this country, particularly right here in Toronto and Peel region where the lockdown remains. And here was a Brampton's mayor. This is Patrick Brown on that earlier today. What really is a sign that we're ready is, one, our hospital capacity is now better than it was before COVID. So you're supposed to be in lockdown when your hospital capacity is overwhelmed. The second thing is, you know, we were very worried about uh, those most vulnerable uh, in in long-term care. All our long-term care has now been vaccinated. Um, So, you know, I, I do believe that the red zone, which which still has lots of restrictions, um, it's just not locked down, it is the appropriate step on, on March 9th. All right, there you go. There's Brampton's Mayor Patrick Brown. And joining us now is Laura Jones, VP at the Canadian Federation of Small Business. And Laura's on the line here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Laura, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right, uh, the CFIB, you guys are out with some uh, new stats about just how devastating this pandemic has been for small business. Just how bad has it been? Can you quantify it for us? Well, the debt piece of this is pretty scary for small business. So our study that we had out, that we've got out this week shows the total debt for small business in Canada at $135 billion. Uh, What we also note is that the majority of businesses, small businesses, have taken on debt to cope with COVID. So seven out of 10 have COVID-related debt. Um, and um, the average, if you have taken on debt to deal with a crisis, is $170,000. Now, that's a very big bill for a small business, and so we're hearing a lot of business owners who are very, very worried about that, and uh, that number is higher, by the way, in some of the hardest-hit sectors. Um, okay, but just to underscore that, I mean, that's a staggering. The average small business has taken on nearly $200,000 in COVID-related debt, all because of the pandemic. They've gone into debt to somehow just try to stay afloat. That's right. I mean, think about the bills that, um, you know, that have accumulated um, some of the, the rent bills alone um, are big for small businesses. And then, you know, with sales low or in some cases non-existent, and you're still paying many of your fixed costs, in some cases you're still keeping some staff on. And so while there are some subsidies in place um, that cover some of those costs, they don't cover all of those costs. 
And uh, do you believe, does the Canadian Federation of Independent Business Law, do you believe that these uh, losses are, you know, something that businesses will never, ever uh, recoup? I mean, they're gone and gone forever. Well, some businesses are worried that on our on our survey, some businesses are worried that they will never be profitable again. And, you know, depending on whether you if you're in a lockdown situation, you're much more worried about that. So we've got about 12 percent of businesses who are locked down saying they're they're you know, they're worried that they're never going to be profitable again. And many businesses we've talked to, I talked to my hairdresser, a good business. I'm in Vancouver, so he's allowed to be uh, open and being very, very careful, obviously, with masks and lots of cleaning protocols. Um, and business seems reasonable. But he said to me his big concern is whether he can outrun his debt. Um, he sold his car to cope with COVID. He still owes rent that he hasn't negotiated um, out with his landlord. So these are the kinds of stories that we're hearing um, right across the country and far worse in Toronto and Peel, where things have been much more locked down. Sure. And I guess the truth is we just don't know moving forward, even once Toronto, Peel and uh, North Bay, once we all get out of lockdown, we just don't know how quickly customers are going to return to certain sectors and certain businesses. I mean, I'm thinking about the hospitality industry, restaurants in particular, once in-house dining is allowed again. I mean, are they going to be uh, full, like you can't get a reservation because everybody has just been waiting so long to go to their favorite restaurant if it's still there once again? Or is this going to be something that's going to be kind of a slow build as people get more and more comfortable post-pandemic? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of uncertainty about that, and businesses are very worried that customers um, won't come back um, to the same pre-pandemic levels. But even if they do, even if business comes roaring back, the challenge with debt is you've got this big anchor that you're dragging behind you. So even if business comes, you know, roaring back to where it was pre-pandemic, you're still saddled with, again, this average of 170,000 of debt, but it's much higher for some sectors. So you look at restaurants, it's well over 200,000, 213,000 for hospitality. So hotels and restaurants, arts and recreation. So think about your gyms and your dance studios and um, your art classes and your theaters. The average there is 200, $142,000. So businesses are really, really worried about, you know, how they're going to um, make this all work going forward. And Laura, when we talk about $135 billion worth of debt, this uh, in your new survey, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, is all of that related to the pandemic or just uh, a portion of it? Yes, unfortunately, all of it's related to the pandemic. So we were very careful in the way we asked the question to limit respondents to um, the COVID-related debt and not include any other debt that they might have had uh, going into this. So, so having said that and looking at that figure, $135 billion, has government done enough? Do they need to do more to uh, support small business, which, of course, as we know, is the backbone of the Canadian economy? Yeah, I think small business has been, you know, they've been really hard hit by this, obviously. And while many of the government programs have been helpful, I think there's more that needs to be done in two ways. One, doing everything we can to get businesses safely back to sales. That's critical. I mean, that's the lifeblood of a small business. And we can't, we can't, they can't exist off subsidies um, uh, for, for forever. That's obviously not sustainable. So we need to do that. They're more fragile now than ever. We need to do that quickly. And then the second thing is making sure the supports are in place um, and are adequate 
to see them through uh, to when they can get back to sales. So more forgivable loans is something that we're asking for, more debt forgiveness for business. That's been popular in the um, certainly in the SEBA uh, program, and there's a new program for loans for um, highly affected sectors. But just more loans isn't helpful. That just kicks the debt problem down the road. What businesses need is forgiveness of some of those loans. And back to your first point, just quickly here, all of this to say, and we played Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, his comments off the uh, top that he really wants to see Brampton and Peel region in the red zone here in Ontario, which would allow some businesses at least to uh, reopen. All of this to underscore that it's just critical that government finds a way for small business to safely get their doors back open. Absolutely. We're a year into this, just about a year into this, and we, you know, it, it, we really do need to do that. I got to tell you, there are a lot of people um, on the West Coast here in Vancouver shaking their heads and, and thanking, uh, thanking their lucky stars that they're not uh, that they're not in Toronto or Peel right now, and, and shaking their heads at, at the approach that's being taken there uh, to small business. When here things have been, you know, again very carefully and with a lot of safety protocols in place. But you could go to your local bookstore. Or your toy store Christmas Eve in Vancouver, something you couldn't do in Toronto. And that's been very hard on small business, very hard on them. All right. Laura Jones, VP at the Canadian Federation of Small Business. Laura, thanks so much for the time with us. Have a happy and safe weekend. Thank you. Quebec and these so-called immunity passports. And for more on this, we're joined now by Dr. Matthew Otten at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. And the doctor joins us now on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Dr. Otten, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. All right. uh, First off, uh, what exactly are these immunity passports that the government there in Quebec and others around the world that they're looking at? Yes, this has been an idea that's been discussed for some time now. The idea being that you would have some uh, documented proof that you are immune to COVID-19, which would then allow you access to certain services or certain places, uh, which on the face of it, seems to have some attractive ideas, but I think the implementation of that, at least at present time, is certainly problematic on a few different levels. All right, well, let's talk about the implementation, because what would that proof look like? Is it essentially some sort of document that says, I have been immunized and this was the date, and is it something that, I don't know, we'd carry on our phones? So there's been different ideas suggested. You're exactly right. There's been the idea that this would be some electronic document that you would display on your phone, probably in other parts of the world. My understanding is that there's been some suggestion this would be a printed out certificate. Of course, if you're talking about a document that would be required for international travel, then, of course, you'd have to have some agreement between whatever country or countries are involved such that they would all accept these documents. Uh, there'd probably be some set of standards that would, uh, you know, minimum amount of information that would have to be displayed. And of course, some way of verifying the authenticity of these documents. Uh, certainly during this pandemic, I'm sure you and your listeners are aware, there's already been many documented instances of fraudulent uh, documents, for example, uh, people requiring test results before travel and it turns out that they can purchase what looks like an official test result to allow them to travel when, in fact, they didn't go through the proper testing methodology. All right. So at the end of the day, do you think uh, with those risks uh, out there that these immunity passports, would they be written or uh, worth the uh, paper they're written on or the electronic document uh, that they're on on our phones? Well, so the two major problems I have with them is that right now, number one, 
we actually don't have a very good test to prove immunity at a given point in time. We do have serology tests, but it's abundantly clear that serology by itself is certainly not the um, uh, sufficient to establish immunity because there's a whole other part of the immune system that we broadly call the cell-mediated uh, immunity system that's not measured by uh, that kind of test that may be very important in conferring immunity. So until, until such time as we have a test to prove immunity, I'm not sure, first of all, if you were to give a document, at what stage do you have to uh, renew that and on what basis are you going to renew it if you can't even reliably measure, uh, do a simple test to prove that that person is immune. The other part is that uh, at present, as I'm sure your listeners are aware, we're, we're here in Canada as well as most other parts of the world, we have ongoing efforts to vaccinate the population. But if you were to insist on immunity passports right now, at times when most of the public don't even aren't even allowed to have access to the vaccine, then you're setting up a system of disparity whereby you're going to be limiting people's access, uh, you know, for for a treatment in this case a vaccine that they're not even allowed to get yet. So you can see where that could create a lot of, I think, fairly potentially serious issues. Sure. And uh, could those issues be resolved in time once we know a little more about the uh, vaccines, just how long they last and their efficacy, uh, that sort of thing? Uh, so certainly time would help both. You would have more people who would have had their chance to get the vaccine. So the inequities would tend to decrease over time. And I'm pretty sure that eventually we will have some commonly available means of testing uh, reliably for immunity. Uh, and I think that kind of test is certainly going to be very use useful because right now we simply don't know even if you were to have had either the actual infection or the vaccination, how long are you considered to be immune, uh, immune for? And therefore, how often would you need to renew these passports? Right now, we simply don't have that answer. So any number you come up with would be largely arbitrary. Okay, those are excellent points. But having said that, setting that aside for a second, the debate seems to really be centered, Dr. Auden, around uh, public health versus uh, civil rights and what sort of uh, inequities or inequalities maybe a vaccination or immunity passport uh, might uh, create. I know you're an expert only in public health, so I'm going to ask you about that. Do you think, though, if we could get past these hurdles that you uh, just laid out for us, do you think that uh, immunity passports would be good in in uh, public health and the pursuit of public health? Hmm. I, at the present time, the way I see them being proposed to be used, I'm concerned that they have a lot of serious issues that would, I think, uh, not be quickly or easily resolved. So at the present time, I'm not in favor of uh, making them required for essential services. Now, you could say that for non-essential services, let's say, um, I'm making up an example, let's say for access to a, uh, a nightclub, for example, which is hardly an essential service, you know, but could you have some sort of requirement that uh, you can only come into this nightclub if you can provide proof that you have had the vac vaccination? I, I don't think that that poses quite the same set, uh, set of hardship because uh, even if you're not going to the nightclub, it's really not a terribly... Uh, uh, large problem. 
Yeah, what is the sense? Do you have a sense there, Dr. Rodden, being in Montreal, uh, what the appetite is for an immunity passport there in your province in Quebec? I know the health minister there said yesterday that it's, quote, just normal we go there, and some of his comments have uh, come under fire uh, today. But is there an appetite for this idea there in Quebec, do you think? Hmm. I haven't myself seen any broad-based population uh, polling on this topic to sort of get a sense. You know, I think certainly the uh, one of the major public concerns at the moment is access to the vaccine, right? It's only been uh, this week, as I'm sure you're aware, that uh, uh, we started an, uh, registering members of the public. I think we started with people who are aged 85 and above, and they're going to start to get vaccinated next week. I think right now the public concern is more about getting vaccines into arms of of, uh, the public because this is an important part of the long-term strategy to get our society through this. Absolutely. And of course, with AstraZeneca being greenlit earlier uh, today, that is uh, certainly going to help us in that endeavor. Uh, Dr. Otten, really appreciate the time as always. Thank you so much. Have an enjoyable weekend. Thank you. You too. Dr. Matthew Auden is at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. And when we come back after the news at 2 o'clock, speaking of AstraZeneca, we're going to go over the green lighting of the latest vaccine, uh, what it does, how it's going to help us in the vaccine rollout and getting more Canadians immunized with an infectious diseases expert who will join us. Joining us now is a doc who uh, we know loves his guitars. As a matter of fact, he's usually got a couple behind him whenever he speaks with us on the morning show. Here is Dr. Suman Chakrabati. He joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Dr. Chakrabati, good afternoon. Afternoon. I miss my guitars. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, we are uh, very happy to be welcoming a brand new vaccine to uh, Canada as of today, AstraZeneca. Just uh, first off, doctor, just how much is having a third vaccine at our disposal? How much is that going to help us in getting people vaccinated? Well, this is going to be huge. And I think that uh, what I've been saying all along is that as the days go on, we are continually in one of the best places that we have been in the entire pandemic. And now we have three vaccines at our disposal. We already have a lot of vaccine coming in with Pfizer and Moderna. We have a third one to add to that list that has certain advantages in terms of you know, how you can store it and easily uh, port it around with you. So I think this is a, a huge win and it's going to really uh, advance our schedule for vaccination over the next several weeks to months. Well, that is a welcome news without a doubt. And what is it that makes AstraZeneca so much more portable? You know, to be honest with you, at the uh, actual genetic level, I'm not exactly sure why it's so much more stable. We do know that mRNA tends to be unstable, although now we're also learning that we don't need that uh, extreme cold temperature anymore for the Pfizer vaccine. But this one can be put in regular fridges, and it doesn't require that uh, special uh, cold chain. So because of that, you can bring it to remote areas. You can bring it to areas in the city, for example, a homeless shelter. This is where I think that uh, it's really going to add an extra tool to our box and uh, just strengthen our uh, response to the virus. All right, which is all good news, but uh, the bad news when it comes to AstraZeneca, it's not quite as effective as, say, the Pfizer vaccine. Is that right? It is, but actually I think that uh, this is uh, not completely accurate in terms of what we're looking for. So yes, when it comes to uh, the AstraZeneca, it's not preventing symptomatic COVID. So people were still getting COVID when they were getting the vaccine. But then if you take a closer look, it is extremely effective at reducing severe illness that's causing hospitalization and death. So yeah, there were people getting COVID, but it was like a a fever that kept you in bed for a day, or maybe a sore throat and runny nose. We've essentially taken a severe, a potentially severe illness and changed it into nothing that's worse than a common cold. And if you look at that, all of the vaccines are good at doing that, whether it's the variant 
or not, the vaccine or not. And that's a huge public health win. All right. Some of the uh, chatter I've seen uh, online and amongst uh, people uh, here at work uh, this afternoon, actually, Dr. Chakrabati, is now that we've got three vaccines, is there one that is clearly better? Should we uh, be able to choose or demand which one of the vaccines uh, we want? Uh, is there one, uh, like, is the Pfizer the preferred choice or really just, you know, happy we've got all these vaccines available now? Yeah, I, w- I would say that for the purposes of what we want to do is reduce, the, uh, reduce hospitalizations and deaths. And all three of the vaccines approved in Canada right now do that, including AstraZeneca. And they do this very, very effectively. So the best vaccine, as my colleague Dr. Chagla says, is the one that goes into your arm, uh, the, the vaccine that you take. So that's why I would say that get the, whichever, we, the task force will assign which people get which vaccine, get the vaccine. And on the population level, this is going to help us get out of this pandemic. All right. Speaking of getting out of this uh, pandemic, uh, how happy are you to see uh, where the numbers uh, have been? We've seen a slight uh, uptick uh, here in Ontario uh, as of late, but uh, overall, the uh, COVID numbers have been going down uh, across the country and around the world. And is that due to uh, obviously uh, more needles getting in arms and the vaccine? I think so. there's probably a number of factors, including, you know, uh, the way people are behaving and staying apart, but also seasonality of uh, respiratory viruses, vaccines. Uh, there's a lot of things that are in play here. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit of an uptick here. Uh, one thing we have to realize, if you look closer, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, homeless shelters here in the GTA, as well as in Thunder Bay, that have been really uh, contributing to that. So we have to really uh, address that. But overall, yes, things look like they're getting better. Vaccines are going into arms. And I really start to urge people that we need to take our dependence away looking at this daily case count, because in the future, as we have more people vaccinated, we're going to get cases, but you're going to see that the cases are not going to be severe. So the case count isn't as important or uh, informative anymore. Things like hospitalizations and deaths become much more important. Okay, that leads me to my next question. Is that what we need to key on when it comes to reopening Toronto, Peel Region, and North Bay, which all remain, as you know, in lockdown in the gray zone to March the 9th? Uh, Brampton's Mayor Patrick Brown, doctor, he was out earlier today saying he would like to see uh, Brampton, I guess Peel Region, move into that uh, red zone. Still some controls, uh, but uh, allowing some businesses to uh, reopen at least at reduced capacity. Uh, Do we really have to look at uh, hospitalizations, as you suggest, instead of that overall case count to to make those determinations for these uh, remaining hotspots? Yes, and I think that it's important because look look what's happening right now. We're seeing the case count going up, but say for my region, Peel, we've been relatively flat because you have to look to where those cases are coming from and address that. And I completely agree with you. What we have to look at is other more informative metrics, so hospitalizations, regional hospital capacity. Do you have any major outbreaks that are happening right now that are burning like we saw in uh, North Bay before, not now? And I think these are the things that we have to do, use more metrics to make this decision. And yeah, I think that the red zone, nobody's saying to open up concerts right now, but I'm saying that I think that if we do things slowly and uh, in a measured way and pivot if we can, I think that we can do this safely. All right. Uh, what is your take on us getting to that September goal now that AstraZeneca has been greenlit by uh, Health Canada? Uh, Canada's got uh, reportedly some 20 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, reserved. Is there any doubt in your mind we're going to be able to make that goal of September that every Canadian who wants a vaccine will be able to get one? Yeah, I mean, obviously hard to make that prediction without a crystal ball, but I do think that we're in very good shape to, to get to that goal, especially now that, yeah, the, the initial part of the rollout was very slow, but now we're starting to see more and more 
and more vaccine roll in, as well as new vaccines, which is, I think, going to be a big thing. And I will make another point is that we don't have to have everybody in the country um, vaccinated. One of the things that we'll see is as we start to vaccinate the highest risk people first, which we will get through uh, in terms of the elderly population, people with health conditions, and finally, uh, the really, really big hotspots like uh, in Peel, Brampton, Brampton is one of them, also in Windsor, uh, GTA, all these areas, it's going to take a huge dent out of the pandemic and going to make things a lot better uh, come the spring months. All right. And just finally, doctor, what's your take on Johnson and Johnson and what do you know about that in their vaccine? I mean, now that AstraZeneca has been greenlit today by uh, Health Canada, are we any closer, do you know, to maybe perhaps approving that vaccine and giving us just yet another tool in our toolbox? I think so. Now, I don't I can't obviously predict, but I'm hearing murmurings that we might see Johnson and Johnson approved at some point in March. This is going to be the world's workhorse vaccine. It's a single dose, which that might change later on, but a single dose, it's easy to store. You don't need any refrigeration. It's portable uh, and also it's cheap. And I think that this uh, also does the same thing the other three vaccines do, and that's prevent severe disease and prevent hospitalizations and death. And that is really what we need to get out of the pandemic. We're going to be hopefully be adding that tool in our box uh, in the next several weeks. All right. Dr. Chakrabadi, appreciate the time as always. Have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Absolutely. You too. Take care. Thank you. Dr. Sumon Chakrabadi, infectious diseases expert.